Epidemics have impacted the way that people interact with each other, as well as the built environment over the centuries. Whether we think about the changes to waste and water systems in London arising from Jon Snow's work on the sources of cholera, the Haussmann Plan for Paris, New York Central Park, or the Customs Harbor Quarantine Station in Shanghai, all of these were in some way responses to contagious diseases in the 19th century. Reaching even further back into the past, some historians argue that the Black Death played a major role in shaping modern pop culture in Britain. The plague sharply reduced the labor force, increasing survivors' wage bargaining power. Now, these same survivors then spent their income gains on better quality ale and food at public houses. Given pubs' crucial role in British life today, this change has been consequential both culturally and from a real estate perspective. Now, the thought is sobering, literally, that even as hundreds of pubs across the UK begin to reopen this summer, all are doing so under severe capacity constraints. And with modern airline travel and intercontinental mobility, the world has graduated from thinking about epidemics to thinking about pandemics. The result, the bars and pubs along Clark Quay in Singapore, Lang Kwai Fong in Hong Kong, and Rush Street in Chicago, are in a similar state of partial or complete closure. From where we stand today, thinking about the post-COVID world may seem a little bit premature. Both the resurgence of infection rates in the US, as well as localized second order shutdowns in places as far from each other as Barcelona, Dallas, and Melbourne, highlight the fluidity of the phases of this pandemic. Even so, we do believe that a COVID under control phase will eventually arrive. We have seen cautiously optimistic news flow on treatments and a potential vaccine over the last month. Once the treatment is available, sorting out permanent versus temporary changes in our culture and behavior will also take time. Interested listeners should refer to chapter three of our investment strategy annual mid-year update as it delves into more detail as to what the future of real estate sectors might look like in a post-pandemic world. Recent data for the real economy has been pretty bleak. Uh, despite massive government support, this pandemic has undone about a decade's worth of unemployment decline in the OECD countries. Traditional sources of, traditional sources of data take time to assemble. And by the time that they are published, they tend to reflect information that is already several months old. So turning to high frequency activity data helps us paint a more timely picture of what economic activity looks like. For instance, travel to workplaces and retail locations continues to rise. Restaurant reservations and airplane travel also seem to be trending modestly upwards. Even as Q2 GDP figures are reported showing historic levels of decline. In a very similar way, real estate valuation data also suffers from lags and timing issues. For example, the latest available valuation indices reflect data only up to the end of Q1 in many countries. But more generally, only a few properties have been changing hands, and this provides limited evidence for valuers to base their decisions on. As a result, it'll take some time for new information to be incorporated into the wider index.
Real estate trusts and companies traded on listed exchanges uncover important bits of information for private equity and real estate debt. Through real-time trading and pricing, these securities more swiftly reflect the changes in the underlying health of occupier markets and the risk premium required to hold real estate assets. Global REIT valuations swung from trading at a healthy premium to private market valuations pre-pandemic to now trading at a discount. While this discount has narrowed over recent months, the pricing gap is wider than it has been over recent decades. Given the importance of transactional evidence to private market valuations, particularly in times of high uncertainty, this dislocation between public and private markets is very likely to persist for some time. The disconnect opens a window for investors to exploit this discrepancy between public and private market pricing. Another thing the public markets can do is help give us a steer as to how investors are assessing the relative risks and opportunities across sectors. The sector hierarchy in pricing broadly coincides with the uncertainty around each sector's prospects alluded to in Chapter 3 of the Mid-Year ISA. Retail and office REITs are trading at a wider discount than they have typically done, and industrials and residential REITs are trading at a very healthy premium. Epidemics have played a very major role in the way that people interact with each other, as well as the built environment around them. Now, we could think about changes to waste and water systems in London arising from Jon Snow's work on the sources of cholera, maybe the Haussmann plan in Paris, New York Central Park, or the Customs Harbor Quarantine Station in Shanghai. But what all of these have in common is that they are in some way responses to contagious diseases in the 19th century. If we reach even further into the past, some historians have argued that the Black Death played a very major role in shaping modern British pub culture. Uh, the plague sharply reduced the labor force and that increased the survivors' wage bargaining power these same survivors then spent their income gains on better quality ale and food at public houses. If we think about pubs' crucial role in British life today, this change has been consequential both culturally and from a real estate perspective. Now the thought that is really sobering is that as hundreds of pubs across the UK begin to reopen this summer, all of them are doing so under severe capacity constraints. Another important point to note here is that with modern airline travel and intercontinental mobility, the world has graduated from thinking about epidemics to thinking about pandemics. The result being that the bars along Clark Key in Singapore, Lang Kwai Fong in Hong Kong, and Rush Street in Chicago are all in a similar state of partial or complete closure. From where we stand today, thinking about a post-COVID world may seem a little bit premature. Both thinking about the resurgence of infection rates in the US, as well as localized second order shutdowns in places as far from each other as Barcelona, Dallas, or Melbourne, all exemplify the fluidity of the phases of this pandemic.
Even so, we do believe that a COVID under control phase will eventually arrive. Over the last month or so, we have seen fairly cautiously optimistic news flow on treatments and the potential for a vaccine. But once a treatment is available, sorting out between permanent and temporary changes in our culture and behavior will take time. I would suggest that any interested listener should refer to chapter three of our, of our investment strategy annual mid-year update. It does delve into some detail as to what the future of real estate sectors might look like in a post-pandemic world. Now, recent data for the real economy has painted a pretty bleak picture. Despite massive government intervention and support, the pandemic has undone about a decade's worth of unemployment decline in OECD countries. But one thing to remember here is that traditional sources of data take time to assemble, and by the time that they are published, they reflect information that's already several months old. So we, what we have done is turn to more high-frequency sources of data to help us paint a more timely picture of what economic activity looks like. And using these data sources, we can see that travel to workplaces and retail locations continues to rise. Restaurant reservations and airplane travel also seem to be trending upwards, even as second quarter GDP figures are reported showing a very sharp contraction in output. Now, real estate valuation data suffers from similar lags and timing issues. I mean, one example is that the latest available valuation indices reflect data only up to the first quarter in many countries. But more generally, very few properties have been changing hands over recent months. What this does is it provides very little evidence for valuers to base their decisions on. And as a result, it will take some time for new information to be incorporated into the wider index. Another important source of information that we can use that is somewhat more real-time comes from public markets. Real estate trusts and companies traded on listed exchanges uncover some important insights for private equity real estate, as well as real estate debt. As they trade in real time, they provide real-time pricing, and, and these securities swiftly reflect changes in the underlying health of occupier markets, as well as the risk premium required by investors to hold these assets. Global REIT valuations swung from trading at a healthy premium to private markets pre-pandemic to now trading at a discount. While this discount has narrowed somewhat over recent months, that pricing gap is, is still wider than it has been over recent decades. And given the importance of transactional evidence to private market valuations, particularly in times of high uncertainty, this dislocation between public and private markets is likely to persist for some time. And this disconnect opens up a window for investors to exploit this discrepancy between public and private market pricing. Public markets can also give us a steer as to how investors are assessing the relative risks and opportunities across sectors. The sector hierarchy in REIT pricing broadly coincides 
with the uncertainty around each sector's prospects that we allude to again in Chapter 3 of the Mid-Year ISA. Retail and office REITs are trading at a wider discount than they have typically done, and industrial and residential REITs are trading at a healthy premium.